Welcome, I'm Ruth Renger, founder of Conscious Leaders. This podcast aims to change the world of work one honest conversation at a time. I hope you enjoy these conversations with proven people leaders running highly successful businesses. I hope you gain something from their philosophy and practice. And I've learned so much working with leaders, be it coaching, facilitation or interviews, that I needed to digest their top traits and behaviours into a book. So it's a new book and it's called Next Level Leadership, Nine Lessons from Conscious Leaders. To order your copy, visit consciousleaders.org.uk forward slash book. And you can also subscribe to my bi-weekly newsletter where I share free content, including blogs and tips to support leaders to do their best work. On this episode, I'm interviewing Skylar Matson. She is president of creative agency Wong Duty. Now, Skylar has worked her way up within Wong Duty for the last 20 years, and now she's their president. And I'm often talking about how a leader's energy is infectious. And I think Skylar really brings it. She's an incredible force for good. I started by asking her just how she got to where she is now. Well, I had a special childhood because I grew up in Hawaii, which is quite unique. My parents are surfers and they own surf stores. And so at the time I didn't realize it, but their business and our life were pretty ingrained. And I think it's affected the way that I approach business today by allowing my life to sort of blend into it with my family and my my work life to sort of come home at times. We can get more into that uh, later. Um, I think I'm one of the rare people, at least in, in the circles I'm in, who knew what I wanted to be when I grew up at a pretty young age, in my teens. There was a show in the United States called Melrose Place, and on it, there was a woman named Amanda Woodward who ran an advertising agency. And I watched this show with my mom every week. And I said, when I grow up, I want to be Amanda Woodward. And I went to UCLA and I majored in advertising and I got a job in advertising two days after I graduated. And I have worked my way up from the most junior position at an advertising agency to be the president. Wow, it's quite a journey. And how was advertising when you started? When I started, I was so bright-eyed and optimistic that I, it was as glamorous as I thought it would be. I worked on the Nestle account at a large agency. We were making commercials that my parents could see on TV, but I was also impatient to do more. So the first agency I started at had 350 people and I was on a team of 15 and I was the most junior person on the team. So I did things like go to the store and buy every type of Easter candy that was on sale to organize a competitive review of all of the candy available while my boss was writing a presentation to take to the clients and present to the clients about the landscape in the candy world moving forward. (laughs) And so one year in, I'm saying, when do I go to the meeting? And when do I give the presentation? And the people on the team were like, okay, so you you have one more year in this role, and then the next year you'll do this, and then the third year you'll do this. And I'm like, okay, so in eight years I get to go to a meeting? Like, how am I gonna be Amanda Woodward if I am like slogging it in the candy closet? And so I received a call from a friend who was at a small agency called Long Duty, and he said, hey, somebody just left, you should come interview here. 
And I said, why would I interview at long duty with 15 people when I'm at this huge, important agency on this huge, important account? And he said, well, because you'd get to go to a meeting. <laughs> and so I went and I interviewed and that just sort of changed my path really quickly. Mm -hmm. So when you arrived at long duty then, what was the, what was the contrast you were? 15 people so immediately it was sort of all hands on deck for a big client presentation and ben weiner the ceo at the time and who is still the ceo today and has been my boss for 20 years wow. was at the table and i said i prepared all of these materials and here's what you'll get to present and here's the background you should be aware of and he said you'll be presenting that and here i was at 22 years old that's all i had wanted to do and I was given the chance to step up and to do something. And there were failures and mistakes, but I was learning by doing mm. rather than sort of sitting back and waiting. waiting and that was the right thing for me. I think that sink or swim mentality that the agency sort of had at the time because we were small and entrepreneurial um, worked for me, but wouldn't work for others. So it sounds like you've got a lot of responsibility early on do you think that you know, if we talk take this into the way you lead now has that affected you in terms of how much responsibility you give to others i think it has i do give people autonomy and i think it's more less about how much responsibility i give others and more about finding the thing that's motivating and exciting. Mm -hmm. When I was young, I just wanted to go to the meeting and I wanted to hear the clients and I wanted to be able to share the things that I had learned. And that motivated me. Mm -hmm. Now I seek out what that thing is for people on my team and make sure they have the opportunity for that. In terms of responsibility, I think starting at a company that was small where we all wore so many hats, mm -hmm. it's still a little bit hard for me to not have my hands in everything. I'll drive the package to FedEx that needs to get to the client the next day. And people are looking at me saying, why are you doing that? There are so many people here to do it. And I still have a very much all hands on deck mentality. I don't think it keeps me from giving people enough responsibility, but I'm probably more in it than most presidents of companies that are 1500 people mm. and before I mean just to sort of pan back a bit into your leadership philosophy because we had a nice chat before this conversation about what you just started talking about earlier which was helping people work on the things they're most interested in you want to talk to that and I would little. love to talk about that because even I feel like I'm in a place of privilege as a leader because I still have the ability to handpick a little project that I don't need to be involved in, but is really creative and excites me. And I can kind of pop into it without disrupting, but get energized from that project. And so I think it was during the pandemic, there were so many difficult conversations and low energy across my team and myself that I, I would seek out these projects and I would just have some time to do things that brought me joy. And a project that I would spend five hours a week on where I was receiving all of this joy would be enough to sustain the other things I had to do that were difficult. 
And so I started in my one-on-ones, starting with what's bringing you joy right now? Because when you approach a one-on-one, of course, I want to give my team space to vent and to bring me challenges. Sometimes you can lean so heavily into that, that every session you have is focused on negativity. But when I start it with what's bringing you joy right now, sometimes it's nothing. And that's important for me to know because then I can seek out things that I know are going to motivate them and help them find room on their plate for those things. But reminding people that there are things that bring them joy, creating space so they can add those if they don't have any, um, is wonderful for me as a leader. And it totally changes somebody's mood when you frame up a conversation like that. What I thought leadership was, was solving people's problems before I really was in it. And so when you come to a conversation, you want people to bring you problems because you want to solve them because that's your job. But that doesn't create an environment for your team to thrive, to solve their own problems. And um, that gets pretty draining as well. So the whole, the whole frame of it started with me wanting my own joy and now leaning into that with my team has made me a different type of leader because that's what we're talking about more than what problems do you have and can I solve them for you? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I'm now sort of slightly going against what we've just said, but some of, some of that sounds like really fun conversation to be having. What's really difficult in your job? What do you find challenging yourself? For me, it's balancing the business need with the people need. And because you don't want to worry people unnecessarily, every little nuance of the business isn't shared. And so a lot of times employees don't have the full context of what's going on with the business besides what leaders share with them. So you don't want to paint a picture that's rosy when it's not, but you don't want to paint a picture of doom, even though there are small indicators that there are things you should be paying attention to. And so what becomes difficult is people who don't have the full context of things you might be worrying about asking for things that seem at odds with the business. So I see indicators that our new business pipeline is slowing down. Some of our clients are being more conservative with their budgets. This is nothing to alarm the company about. Everything is fine. I have team members saying they want to do this huge offsite with their team that I know is going to cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. In the back of my mind, I'm being more conscious with what we're spending, but I don't want to worry them. And they're asking for something and they don't understand why I'm going to say mm-hmm. no. And so I think understanding how much to share so that your decisions seem rational and make sense, but also balancing you want a team to be motivated and focused on the work and not worried about their job. Mm. I think that that's a tough balance. Sometimes the business requires you to have a reduction in force. Mm. That's the worst day of your life as a leader. I have to let somebody go. Mm. And like that's when things become really tough. Or even just saying no to people who want to throw a party because we want a new piece of business. When you're really trying to be responsible that month about how much the company's spending. Like those two things are so hard to balance Mm. so how do you balance them what do you share in those circumstances when someone comes to you and they say skylar we've got to have this party all the potential 
Plus it'll be fun. What do you think? <laughs> You're like, I mean, it depends on the time and us <laughs> for parties all of the time. We're a really fun company. It's a champagne problem, right? Everybody wants to throw a party. You know, sometimes you can find a middle ground. The summer party was in my backyard at my home this summer. So we didn't spend a ton of money on it. And our CFO barbecued. So there was a way to show appreciation that wasn't fiscally irresponsible. So sometimes there's... It's there's also really nice that you're CFO barbecued and you shared your home. because Totally, yeah. totally. And, you know, I mean, on that note, sometimes you're like, how much of how much do I want to show myself? Mm. Well, when you're in my backyard and one of my sons is hitting my other son in the head and they're crying and mm-hmm. you're running around trying to serve drinks, like mm. people see that you're... You're pretty human. Mm. But when you have to give an answer that somebody doesn't want to hear, I want to add three new people to my team because we're busy and this is what we want to do. I can't say no without context. Mm -hmm. So in those instances, I will share as much as I can about the business landscape and where we're heading and then be really open to let's keep this an ongoing conversation because one new business win and this could completely change. Mm -hmm. So let's check back in next month. Mm -hmm. And kind of like bringing this back to like your like family life and your your um you know you've got had a very successful career you've also got children and I know that you're a big champion of of like women with families and things like that in business so how's that path been like for you? It's been really great actually, and I'm an optimist. So as I look back, I'm the good things are going to pop up more for me. So we can, we can take that as it is. I feel very fortunate to have worked at a company for 20 years that acknowledges the need for balance. It's not really work-life balance. I like to blend my work and my life completely. But there are times, and I tell this to women who are you know going to become first-time moms or who have young children, There are going to be times when your work needs you more and you're going to be able to give your all to work. There are going to be times when your family needs you more and you are going to not even care what's happening at work because your family is so important. And trust yourself 100%. You'll always know when you need to lean into one or the other. You will never be able to balance the two. And I think that's a very freeing thing to hear. I will say... I have evolved because when I had my first son, who's now 12, uh, no other woman in the office had had a baby before. And so I hadn't seen someone get pregnant. A couple of the men had children, but I had never seen a woman come into the office pregnant, have a baby and return. And so in my mind, I had to have the pregnancy. Thank goodness none of my pregnancies were complicated. I could work till the end, go home, have the baby. In my mind, I would come back just as I was before. It would be like I didn't even have a baby. And if I needed to take the baby to a doctor's appointment, I would simply say, I have an appointment from noon to two. I'll be back in the office at 2.30. I would never tell somebody I was taking my baby to the doctor. They didn't need to know about that. And when my babies were little, I, you know, most babies, they go to bed very early. So they go to bed at seven, it's like seven to seven. And I remember my first week back in the office, looking at the clock, being in a meeting and seeing that it was 6.15 and thinking, if I don't get up from this meeting right now, 
my baby will be asleep when I get home and he won't wake up till seven tomorrow and then I'm gonna leave for work at eight. Oh my gosh, am I ever gonna see my baby? But this is what it is. I'm not gonna stand up in the middle of this meeting and walk out. So that went on for maybe the first year and then a woman in my office got pregnant and I said to her, listen, when you have a doctor's appointment for your baby, you tell your team, I have a doctor's appointment for my baby and that's what I'm doing. At five o'clock, you pack up your things and you walk out of this office with your head held high. You'll check back in and you won't let the team down. And in telling her all of these things, I thought, holy shit, I need to start doing that too. She hasn't even seen me do that. I'm telling her she can. I'm gonna start doing that too. So my pregnancy with my second child was totally different. I started saying, I'm going to be the mystery reader in second grade today, so I'm going to be late for this. I've got a soccer game. I'll check back in with you later. I started leaving with my head held high, and it was so much easier for me to do it because I needed to model it for the women coming after me than it was for me to do it for myself. But I eventually got there, and then I had a third son, and you know things were really great with him because I was so open about everything related to motherhood. And I started to hear from the women at my company. It's so amazing to work at a company that supports mothers. And I've been super proud of that, but it, it, I didn't just come up with it. I sort of had to learn through working through my own things. Mm. Yeah, and, I, and you can excuse me if I make any sweeping generalizations here, but I feel like the US is not known for being a place where mothers get a lot of time off or maybe a huge amount of um, you know, I guess space. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's changed a lot? No, Not a lot, Not a lot, but it is changing more. Yeah. Um, breastfeeding mothers, when I came back to work, uh, for my first son, I said, I can't breastfeed because I'm going to come back to work and there's no way every three hours I could go pump breast milk. My second son, I went, well, I want to breastfeed longer than three months. I know how good it is for him. It's good for me. So I'd go to my car. And I do it there. By the third son, I was like, we are building a beautiful pumping room. We are celebrating <laughs> breastfeeding mothers. I mean, it was even before him because I started to have more mothers working for me. So we've got these beautiful rooms with these hospital grade breast pumping machines. And we actually took it even further and we made a campaign about it. We made a, a social campaign called I Pumped Here, and we created all these stickers and we sent them out just, I mean, we could distributed them as much as we could. We had a pilot, put it in the cockpit and take a picture and put it on social media. So many women in the closets of their companies, in bathroom stalls, and we were essentially shaming companies into creating gorgeous, private, I mean, <laughs> let's just say sanitary and private, let alone gorgeous, um, places for their moms to pump breast milk. And it affected the, the government. There are now laws around, if you're 50 plus, you have to have a sanitary private room that is designated for mothers to pump breast milk. That's when I'm like, oh my gosh, I can actually take something I care about in the world, use our creative superpowers, and then affect a really positive change mm. at scale. Yeah. That's when I become the most excited about about what we do. Yeah, you really light up when you talk about that. Yeah, I think that's kind amazing. of inherent in you to to kind of push the needle on these things. It is a Tracy Wong, the founder of our company, um, coined the term superpowers for good. 
And so at its most basic level, we do anti-smoking campaigns. We'll never work for a cigarette company, but we will do statewide campaigns that tell kids smoking is bad with superpowers for good. Um, leaning back into what brings people joy, we recognized years ago, I mean, I was probably five years into Wong Duty, and this came from Tracy Wong, that our client work might not always bring us joy. There's budget constraints. We don't always have the ability to win all of the clients that we want to work on. So we created something called Push Projects, and these are around causes our employees believe in. We create a campaign to drive awareness, to change behavior, and then we take it to a nonprofit and say, would you like to help us put this campaign into the world? So I Pumped Here was essentially a push project um, that we did with a group called Moms Rising. We've done a push project around gender wage equality. This was when in the US, um, they were gonna put a female on the $10 bill, but women only make $7.9 to every $10 that men make. So we made a $7.9 bill. Nice. Um, I mean, we've done several and push projects are ways for employees to say, I want to work on something that brings me joy and I want to use my superpowers for good creativity. And here's an idea. And I mean, we're working on two right now that maybe I won't talk about yet, but it's a really cool way to lean into the idea that you want people to be inspired by the work that they do and be a part of creating something that could have a mass effect for good. Mm. So what I'm hearing is you're you're quite a trailblazer and you've come into this company, you're as a young woman, and it's a small office, mainly of men, which changed over time. And you're there like tra- trailblazing on pump rooms and push projects to help people find do more like joyous stuff. How did that go down? I'm I'm assuming quite well, but like yeah, what was the journey like with you and Ben, the CEO and Ben is very enlightened. I like to call him Zen Wiener, not Ben Wiener. And um, he's always been incredibly supportive. He has said he wants to be at a company that he would be proud for his wife to work at. And so he's been supportive of the things that I've wanted to do. Hmm. And that's been wonderful. So he's really enabled you to kind of fly with those things and find your joy, I guess. He absolutely has. And sometimes that aspect of my career feels a bit at odds or challenging or worrisome because I do a lot of talks with women and they say, talk about all the things you've had to overcome and how have you really sort of paved your way and how did you sort of elbow your way to the top and you know when were you most discriminated against and they're asking because they're obviously experiencing that and I want to be there for them and say this one thing happened and here's how I overcame it what's going on in your life but I every time I answer with I've been incredibly fortunate to be supported by the men in my company I almost feel like I'm letting them down because they want they want to know what to do and then you know I've learned to say if you're at a company where you feel like your gender is holding you back you should not be at that company Mm -hmm. and I I talked to quite a lot of my guests about more recently about modern masculinity and what that means which is a I think a whole other book um, um, to write that maybe I'll write 
at some point. And one of my podcast guests called Martin Sibley, who's who runs a um, influencer agency for disabled people, so helps um, clients access disabled audiences. Really exciting, called Purple Goat. He talks about it a little bit as like providing a platform for others. So knowing when you can step back and give your seat away to someone else that might need it more than you do as like a, you know, a white male, for example. Um, any thoughts on? I love the term modern masculinity. On my mind a lot is I'm, I'm raising three little white boys who are going to become three white men. And how do I make sure I am putting responsible men into this world. That, that weighs on me sometimes. One of the things I've been thinking about is maternity and paternity leaves. I was at a conference and um, a senior leader from P&G was there. And he said, we are so proud that we give six weeks for paternity leave because we want men to have an equal part in taking the responsibility of raising children. And I raised my hand and said, and are the, all the men taking the full six weeks? And he was quiet and gave a very politically correct answer, but it was like, we're just kicking it off and we're looking at ways to help sort of make sure that people engage with it. But um, the difference between men and women in the office, and I was once asked, you know, what do you think has been the the hardest part of your career. And I've said having children because I think it's it's something that women deal with in a completely different way than men. And when you say modern masculinity, I think that's taking the six weeks of your paternity leave so that your wife has a partner and that it's not all on her and modeling that for the other men in your company that that's expected. Yes, yeah, it's, it's almost seems like a cultural thing, isn't it? Like if just because you have a policy doesn't make any difference if the culture is not to take it and you need someone to to really stick their neck out, as it were. Well, I don't even know. It might be for some reason, for some people it might be very easy, but just to kind of, to go, no, that's important. And I wonder what, and this is a whole other podcast and we don't have long, but, you know, I wonder what, what it is that holds men back from that decision because that must be quite a complex thing. Um, you know, is it is it to do with, I've always been the breadwinner and therefore I need to stick with that, you know? And clearly this is not a black and white situation and we have very traditional men, very progressive men and everything in between. And in a way, if it's working, you know, that's fine. But it's interesting to think like what, what helps people step up? Is it, is it just others that they admire doing it on TV or like, or is it colleagues? You need to see it to be it. And I do think it starts with one person in a company modeling something, a person that people respect, a leader modeling a behavior. This is true for every type of behavior. And it trickles across everyone. I do think that we've come such a long way when it comes to men and women in the household and raising kids. I think dads today are so much more in it than they were before, but there is still such a divide. And the pandemic, I mean, women were burnt out and left their jobs way more than men did because when the kids got 
home from school and there was nobody to take care of them, even if, if the husband and wife are both in important careers, and even if they're both bringing home the same size paychecks, I, it is so hard for me to think of an instance where the husband's like, you continue to focus on work. I've got everything but the kids. Mm. It's just, we're still not there. I mean, if you look into the future, when you think about the way your leadership is going, where you see you'd like it to go, what, what comes up? I feel really grateful to be a leader at a time like the time we're in now, because I think your book is a great example. People are talking about leadership in such different ways in terms of the softer skills and EQ and all of the things that make a person a whole person, how important that is to bring to leadership. I think women are more naturally comfortable in some of those emotions. And so as a woman in leadership today, I feel so empowered and I feel so excited for other women because I think we're at this bit of a tipping point. I hope that we are going to start to see more equality in the C-suite and in board suite seats because of the leadership qualities that people are now understanding to be so important. So I feel incredibly empowered to do whatever I want. I don't know exactly where I want to be. I'm incredibly happy now and Wong Duty continues to grow. And so my job is a different challenge every single day. And I love that. If I can continue to find the things that bring me joy and carve out space on my plate for those things, I think I'll continue to be incredibly gratified. And then if I can also ensure everyone around me finds their joy, then I think I'm doing something really amazing. Mm, that sounds like quite a strong purpose. <laughs> I've never really labeled it that. Now I'm going to start to get nervous. I've just labeled a purpose. <laughs> um, it feels very natural to who I am. It's something I'm trying to do with my children as well. And so I feel comfortable leaning into that. And with um, your family life, your three boys, you've got a big job, you're not only doing the core work, the stuff that brings you joy, you're helping everybody else with their work and helping them find joy. That That's a lot. It sounds like a lot. You've just travelled to the UK. You've done a solid week that blows my mind, the amount of things you've done in one week. Um, how do you look after yourself? I am intentional about self-care. So it, this sounds so boring, but like I actually like I schedule times where it's just going to be me time. I used to feel a lot more guilty about carving out things that were just for me. I don't anymore. I think the whole airplane analogy of put your mask on first and then you can put on the mask for others makes so much sense when I am healthy and strong and feel good. I am a better boss and I'm a better mom. So I really lean into it now. Um, I like a lot of like fancy spa things. And so I treat myself to those things regularly. Um, I wanted to learn a new sport. So at 42 years old, I'm learning how to play tennis for the very first time. And every Saturday I take a tennis lesson and it's, I, I'm making up for lost years. I feel like I should have been a tennis player. So I, I feel very comfortable carving out that time for myself and um, it helps, mm. it helps a lot. 
And what does it ever get too much? Do there ever moments when you're like, whoa, balance is off? Like, how do you... Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a good Sunday afternoon where I'm like, mommy wants to watch Top Chef for six hours. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think because I'm, I'm talking with people all day and then I come home and I have three boys and a loving husband who I've been married to for 16 years. Sometimes when I come home, I'm a little bit like, hmm. I need some quiet time. I'm an extrovert, but I need to recharge. Mm -hmm. We have a sauna in our backyard. This sounds so privileged and so luxurious, but the kids don't want to come in there because it's way too hot. It's soundproof. So no matter how loud they're yelling at each other, I can't hear it. 15 minutes in a sauna silently. You can't bring your phone in. It will melt. It is just you sit, you sweat, you're quiet. And I can recharge pretty quickly. <laughs> then I'm okay to go in the house and play video games. Mm, this is a good habit. It's really good. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much thank for walking you. me through everything. I'm really excited to get to know you and, and get to know you more. So that was fun. Thanks, Ruth. Well, thank you, Skylar, for allowing me to delve into the inner workings of your brain. Usually I think it's a little harder for corporate leaders to open up because they have this very public role. However, I really felt Skylar could be herself. And this says a lot about her and must make her very relatable to work with. Well, you've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast and I'm Ruth Franger. I want to facilitate honest conversations with great people leaders so you can learn from their highs and lows, from their philosophy and their day-to-day -day practices. For free practical advice on how to build a calm, collaborative and productive workplace, as well as info on my new number one best-selling book, Next Level Leadership, visit ConsciousLeaders.org.uk.